0: Save your seat now at com. That's growandemaillist.com to get started with an email list strategy that drives real results. I'll see you at the masterclass. In my mind, I was like, okay, if I just keep filling up my calendar, if I keep getting clients, there's no way I will fail. But I also didn't have any sort of clear direction of what success looked like, right? So I was avoiding failure, but not defining success. We're creeping up onto 400 episodes of this show, and each solo show episode is a new chance to share what I've learned, what the journey's been like, what's working, what's not, and ways for you to learn alongside of me to move towards success faster in your own life and business. Now, I usually do these alone, hence the term solo show, and I usually write my thoughts so that I can stay on track and give you the best, most effective, and actionable information possible. But why not switch things up a bit? I'm tossing my interviewer hat to Kylie, the manager for the Gold Digger podcast, and she's putting me in the hot seat. Getting interviewed always brings out stories that I've never thought to share or methods and strategies that I've never revealed before. In this episode, Kylie will take us back in time to my early days when I was fresh on the full-time entrepreneurial scene, still gaining my footing and riding the learning curves all the way to right now. If you want to know how I invested in myself at the beginning, which early days marketing strategies I still use right now, and which of my business fears actually came true, keep on listening. Here we go. All right, Kylie, I guess I'm passing the mic to you virtually, so... (laughs) Welcome to my show. Oh, this is our show? <laughs> this is so much
1: fun. I'm usually the one listening to all these episodes after they're recorded, and now I get to sit across from you, albeit virtually, and turn the tables and interview you. I am enthusiastically oh, so volunteered as tribute for this, so... <laughs> I am so excited to it. dig into the stories and the strategies of your early days. But first things first, I would really like to ask you my favorite icebreaker question. All right, let's go. What's already made you smile or laugh today? Oh
0: my goodness. Okay. Well, it's so silly, but Coco, when we go and wake her up and people the other day, I had posted something on Instagram and they were like, wait, you wake her up. She sleeps really good, but I think it's payback because she didn't sleep well for the first year. (laughs) And so now when I go into her room in the morning, she'll pop up and then she'll hand me her stuffed animal and I have to give it kisses and hugs before I give her kisses and hugs. So she's just like this little joy bringer in my world, which is the best.
1: That's the sweetest thing. I'm sure we could fill an entire episode of us just looking at pictures of her and saying what we love. <laughs> oh, it's the best. She's, it's the best. She's one of my favorite little humans and fashion icons, so.
0: Same. Wait, I gotta turn it on you first. Okay. You gotta answer your own question because this is a two-way street oh. before we dive on into the good stuff. What brought you joy today? Oh, goodness.
1: This is so unfair because I'm prepared to be the interviewer. This is such a hard question. I don't know why, because my days have been so joyful lately. I have finally found a really good flow and a new normal, especially with work and with personal life. And things are slowly and safely starting to open back up where I live. So it's just so cool to hop out of bed and feel like, okay there seems to be some sort of normalcy returning to my world. And I love that a lot. I love that too. So, well, gosh, if you turn this around on me the whole way, we did not discuss that. Well, <laughs> I'll be a good okay. one. Well, one thing I love about working for you is how much of an open book you are for our entire team, personally, professionally. We're all learning from you as we work alongside you. And so putting you on the spot about your early days, those chapters that you like touch upon, but we've never really dug into deeply. I'm excited for everyone to hear this. So we know the story, the windowless corporate office, the $300 Craigslist camera and working your booty off to Place your salary with your side hustle so you could dive headfirst into your full-time entrepreneurial career. But what did that day one of being your own boss actually feel like? Like if you could tear out a page of your journal from that day,
0: yeah. what would it have said? Yeah. So I've never shared this story ever before. Ooh. And when I thought of this question, I was like, all right, are we doing it? We're doing it. So People don't know this about part of my transition, and I don't know why I've never shared it, just never felt relevant, but... As I was transitioning out of Target, you know, I was working on building up my photography business while working 50, 60 hours a week at a store. So I was in the stores and burning the candle on both ends. And when you are a manager at Target, I was HR, but you also have to lead the floor and lead the team. You walk a lot. Like I would wear a pedometer and I would walk like 10, 20 miles a day. Holy smokes. And, all of a sudden, my foot started hurting really bad. I promise this story <laughs> won't make sense. <laughs> and I remember one day I like kicked off my shoes. We had to wear those really interesting clog, like dance go <laughs> shoes. <laughs> kicked off my shoes at the end of the day. And I was like, there's this really weird bump on my foot. Anyways, long story short, I went into the doctor and the doctor was like, you need to have surgery on your foot stat- and I knew that my health insurance was about to be switching over to Drew's. And I also knew that I had an impending wedding season coming up. And so the time frame of when I could have surgery on my foot was actually really small. And so within a week of going to the doctor, I was getting surgery done. I got pins put in my foot. There's just something wrong with it. And I ended up having to take a leave of absence from Target For two months because I couldn't walk. And so, as I was transitioning out of my corporate career, I knew like, hey, if I'm gonna even go back to Target, it's only gonna be for a few weeks before I then put in my notice to do weddings. And I actually ended up healing while in bed crutches, working on my business and figuring out, no, I'm ready to make that leap of faith. So I ended my short-term disability early just to be honest with them and say, Hey, I'm actually not planning on coming back. Here's my two weeks notice. And so I, my transition was really weird because there wasn't a lot of closure. There wasn't a huge announcement. There wasn't anything like that. I left for foot surgery. And then I ended up never going back to that office. And by the time I went back to clean out my desk, someone else had already moved into my office, took, my pictures off the wall, put their pictures up. And it was the most beautiful example of how replaceable you are in a corporate culture. But it was also like heartbreaking at the same time. So I don't know, you never knew that story, did you? No, I
1: never heard that. And it's a really interesting perspective, too. Because I think when you think about big transitions and big life changes, you always assume there's going to be this big lead up and fanfare and like official announcement of something happening. But sometimes it's not like that.
0: No. And I was on crutches I shot my first wedding on crutches and I had an extra assistant photographer with me because I was still healing and I knocked it out of the park but let me tell you shooting on crutches is not fun. But it was yeah it was just a very interesting transition and it felt kind of weird because being on short term disability and being at home and just working on healing and and crutching around and then switching into this full-time entrepreneurship it was just this really in between season that, like you said, there wasn't a lot of like immediacy fanfare or anything. It was just like, all right, this is our new normal. Kind of, kind of like how we feel today a little bit.
1: Yeah, totally. Did you feel like at that time that you had to prove yourself right in the process or that you were trying to prove somebody wrong about your decision? Mm.
0: (laughs) I think a lot of my drive comes from proving myself right. I'm one of those weird people that just wants to push my own limits to see what's possible. Not because anything is shiny. For example, yesterday I was biking and I have been gunning to try to just bike 10 miles in under 40 minutes for no reason. (laughs) Like I don't know anyone else. I don't know if that's good or slow or what. And so I'm constantly one of those people that is just pushing. Leaving the corporate world, I did have a lot of Out mostly from people that were more traditional, that just didn't understand. I'm the first entrepreneur of my entire family. It's just not a way of life that we were used to or we understood. And now my family is so pro entrepreneurship. So I think it was a mix of the two, but I always think that, especially as an Enneagram three, as I dive deeper into what that means in terms of my identity. A big part of it is just proving myself right and, and believing that there is more out there for me and pushing that limit. You've always been someone who
1: paints possibilities like you can hear it in how you speak about yourself and what's possible for you. But you've never once tried to talk someone out of pursuing entrepreneurship, which is really interesting because some leaders will make you fear it in an effort to to make you work harder. But who was painting possibility for you at the beginning? Like what kinds of leaders or resources or tools did you look for or look at to kind of guide this journey?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And One thing Drew and I always laugh about is that every single industry has this like microculture, right? We watch Top Chef and they'll like list off these titles and names and people and we have no idea who (laughs) we are, but we know that they're important, right? Like we're like, this is just this microculture and every single industry is like that. And the photography industry was just like that as well. Jasmine Starr is an entrepreneur and she was somebody that I looked up to as a photographer And there was just all this like interesting movement happening in the photography world then where I feel like there was a shift happening from being like, you need to be professionally trained. You need to have a studio. You need, you need to have all this lighting equipment. And there was this kind of new age coming through where it was more creativity and more room to grow and more people who were just picking up a camera out of passion. And so It was interesting because I wasn't necessarily looking to learn entrepreneurship, though I did throughout the process. I was looking to learn how to create these moments that like I myself was falling in love with. And a lot of people forget that when I became a wedding photographer, I was also a bride. So I was planning a wedding. I'd gone through that process. And when you're in a process, you learn so much about yourself, what you love, what you hate, what you appreciated, what didn't sit well with you. It's kind of like when you go buy a car, you don't necessarily have a ton of experience in that, but you leave that experience understanding what you liked and what you didn't like and what you desire as you move forward. And so I think as a bride, that really resonated with me of like, what kind of experience do I want to create? And so I was just in a really interesting life season where I was learning photography, understanding what it was like to be the client, and then figuring out how do I make money to get myself out of this corporate position and into a place where I am in control of my own destiny. So I think it's just... You know, there were mentors and there is things. Pinterest was recently launching, which is crazy at the time. And so there is a lot of inspiration, but the world was not like it is today where you can just get education with pressing a button. It was very, very different at the time. So visit activations.com forward slash gold digger now for over 60% off. Do not miss out on this crazy deal. They rarely do discounts and it expires soon. That's activations.com forward slash gold digger.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about that because you're always so open about investing in yourself and in your business. What was that first big, here's my credit card, take my money kind of thing at the beginning of your business?
0: Did you know that I wanted to scrap this question oh, really? and I'll tell you why. Okay. So, I remember the exact moment and the exact thing and I the reason why I wanted to scrap the question was because I wouldn't recommend what I did. Okay. No, this <laughs> but is perfect. That's yeah, that's part of it, right? So, I remember when I worked for Target, I had to drive it was like 50 miles down the stretch of highway. And someone on a prestigious wedding site had reached out to me about advertising on their platform. And this was while I was still working at Target. And it was expensive. It was like $1,200 a month. And I remember at the time, it was like more than our rent of our little condo that Drew and I were living in as newlyweds. And it was to have a listing on their site where brides are searching out to find different vendors. And at the time, it was like my only way to connect with Clients like I lived in a village of 1200 people. Most of them were our parents age retirees. I didn't know anyone. I was six hours from my hometown. I was three hours from the college we went to. So it wasn't like I had connections or this network. And the funny thing was, is that at the time, I didn't realize, like, I'm just being sold to. I remember the woman, (laughs) she said to me, she said, your website, it looks like anthropology. And I remember just being like, oh, my gosh, she gets me, (laughs) which it was just a free WordPress blog. But... Anyways, I had to sign on for a year. And the one smart thing I did in this process is that I took the entire cost of advertising. I said, okay, how many weddings would I need to book off of this advertising to make this large expense worth it? And I think it ended up being like three weddings. And I was like, okay, I think I can do that. And so I created this listing on the site. I started advertising and within a day I booked my highest paid wedding. And it covered like the next four months of advertising. And I was like, okay, I'm on to something. Now, the reason why I wouldn't recommend this is because I don't necessarily think that you have to pay to play when you're getting started. I think there are different ways now that you could do that, but it worked really well for me because I advertised for the first year of my business. I shot 25 weddings And I served those clients so well that after that, I never paid a penny to advertise photography again, because I had word of mouth and I'd built those connections and I loved on those wedding parties and those parents. And so that was the thing. But I just remember that day where I'm on the phone with her and she's like, okay, I need a commitment. And I like felt this pit in my stomach, but I also like backed it with numbers to understand, all right, am I willing to hustle to make this worth it?
1: I'm glad that we didn't scrap that question.
0: I think that's great. I was tempted to. I was going to cross it out on the dock and say, I'll explain later.
1: (laughs) So looking back at everything, it's so much easier to draw conclusions about what you learned when you've had distance from that learning moment, right? So what do you think was your biggest learning curve at the beginning? Like, did you have some expectation
0: versus reality moments early on? Yeah. You know, it's funny because I think so many entrepreneurs can relate to this I wanted to be a photographer, which meant I wanted to be behind a camera and shooting. What I didn't recognize about the photography world is that it's 90 percent everything else. It's client communication, contracts, emails, editing, blogging, marketing, accounting. It's literally everything but being behind your camera. And I think that happens for a lot of people because we're so passionate about this thing, but entrepreneurship requires so many different hats. And it's not for the faint of heart, but that doesn't mean that you can't continue to pursue your passions. Like you said, I would never turn someone away who has this desire to pursue those passions But I want to paint that understanding that entrepreneurship is usually like 10% of that thing that you love the most blanketed with all the other hats you have to wear. It took me a very long time to figure out systems for the other areas where I wasn't as passionate. And nowadays, we're so systematic with everything we do, because that gives me that clarity and allows me to have that vision. But back then, I really struggled with... I mean, I had those like filing cabinets, (laughs) and I was trying to figure out mailing systems. And I mean, it was just... You know, It's just a steep learning curve and not many people understand all that goes into it until you're really in it. Yeah. So with all of those things on your plate, wearing all those hats, I think you
1: jump into entrepreneurship thinking, wow, I'm going to be so free and I'm going to make my own schedule and this is going to be amazing. I can't wait. But then work starts to really take over your life. And I know you believe more in work-life integration now, but when did it click for you that balance wasn't really a real thing?
0: It was interesting. We were on a walk the other night with our neighbors who we've quarantined with. And every single night we go on a walk with them. And my neighbor was like, have you always been this balanced because I'm just nowadays I can shut down at a moment's notice and say no no this is more important and I laughed because I was like oh my gosh I really 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 struggled with balance and I hate sometimes teaching about that season because I think a lot of entrepreneurs these days and a lot of leaders in the entrepreneurial space always talk about That season that led them to burnout. And I I caution that because I'm like, I don't want somebody listening to this to think all I need to do is work myself to the bone, hit burnout. And then this epiphany will come because I don't believe that has to be the way. But I remember it's so vivid, even to this day in my head, it was a Sunday afternoon. I'd shot a wedding on a Saturday. We spent the night at Drew's parents' house. I worked all day Sunday, instead of just being present with my in-laws. And then I went to a shoot on Sunday night. And that right there is one sign of having no boundaries when you're working seven days a week. And I remember I just felt weary, like tired in your bones, weary. And I shot the session and I was just super animated. And I I mean, I love my clients. I loved what I was doing. There was nothing wrong with any of that. But I remember when I fell into the car, like I literally just kind of like collapsed in a pile of of meat. (laughs) And I said to Drew, I said... Do you think they could tell? And he's like, "Do you think they could tell what?" And I was like, "How exhausted I am." And I remember I like fell asleep on that way home just so tired. And it hit me that like, I'm saying yes to everyone, but the people I love the most, my husband, my in-laws, my family. And that was when I realized like something's got to change. I don't care if I have a six figure business, I would way rather make 50 grand a year and have freedom and time and, and memories. And so it took me three, four years to even understand that. But once I did, you can see where I just started to cut back and started to really free up my time and focus on time more than money. Yeah, that's interesting. We are kind of
1: sold that narrative that the burnout is the way like you just have to make it yes. to your first burnout. And then you yes. it.
0: <laughs> like, no, 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 please don't do that. So
1: what does this wasn't on our approved questions list? What does that methodology look like for you now to establish boundaries and balance? Like, do you wow. have a quick cheat sheet that you run it by before you say yes to something?
0: Yeah. I mean, so one of the biggest things that I have learned over time is the difference between time and money. we talk about this a lot on this show. We talk about time being our currency. And I think that motherhood actually really softened me a lot to understand that on a deeper level, a level that maybe I couldn't have understood just with my own life experience. And for me nowadays, it's like slow mornings with my family. And if Drew says, Hey, do you want to go on a bike In the middle of the day, I say yes. And it's interesting because what I found as an entrepreneur is that if you give yourself eight hours in the day, you're going to take a full eight hours to get your stuff done. Mm -hmm. If you give yourself three hours a day, you're going to still find a way to get what needs to get done. And I learned that when Conley was a little girl, a tiny little baby, and I'm like, whoa, I'm getting like eight hours of work done in a three hour nap time. And so I've just kind of learned to trust that like we can get done what we need to get done and to operate from a space that nothing is urgent. And that's really helped a lot. And I think too, when I Look back, you know, with wedding seasons and shooting and being a photographer. I had this like deep seated fear that everything was temporary, that this wasn't going to last, that I couldn't sustain it. And now I think I have this innate belief that's like, I am smart enough to figure out my next move. And I don't have to, you know, work like it's going to disappear tomorrow, that we can figure out how to continue to move through the seasons and pivot when it's needed. And I think that that's a beautiful realization. Most entrepreneurs are wired that way. You are so smart, you can figure out those next steps you don't have to work today like tomorrow might not come
1: Yeah. So I've always kind of thought of work like a goldfish, like bear with me. Mm -hmm. But you know how, Mm -hmm. have you ever seen the goldfish that are put in like outdoor ponds and they grow to be just like enormous? Like our work will grow to fill the time, the pond we put it in. So if you have three hours, do the work in three hours. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so let's talk about marketing. You've already touched on your first big investment was a way to market yourself and you wouldn't recommend it. But what were you doing in the early days to market? market yourself and find new clients and get in front of people, your ideal customer.
0: Yeah. So one of the things that I think is so important, especially in those early days, is just continually showing up. And I think nowadays, we think that marketing is like immediate. Like you put out an offer. It's like that. If I build it, they will come mentality. That is just not true. And when I was starting out, I was really bold. And it was kind of back in the days when Facebook was more skeletal in its nature and you would see every life update from people. And I was at the age, so I was 23 and we had just gotten married. So we got married quite young and we were living in an area where that was actually quite common to get married around that age. And so I was seeing a lot of people getting engaged and I should actually find the template that I sent to people because I remember sending it. But anytime I would see a status update of somebody getting engaged that I knew, I would slide into their messages and just say, Hey, hey, oh my goodness, congratulations on your engagement. I was just a bride myself. If you have any questions about the process or if there's anything that I can help you through, we were able to plan our wedding. Our entire wedding cost under $12,000. We had 200 people. It was very like just, I mean, we served pizza, (laughs) if that tells you anything. But I also said, you know, I'm starting out as a wedding photographer and I would just love to talk if photography is something you're in need of, let me know. And so I think I was very, very bold. And I think that that showed a level of confidence and also invoked trust. People knew that I had just been in their shoes. They knew I had just been through that exact process. And so looking back, it's almost like I was guiding people and opening that door to serve them, whether or not that was as a photographer or just as a friend. But I I think that that boldness sometimes is lacking nowadays. We're more apologetic about sharing what we're doing or what we're passionate about or what we're working on. And sometimes that boldness is necessary. And I want to preface this with saying, do not just slide into the DMs of people that you haven't talked to in a decade (laughs) and try to sell them something that doesn't work and that doesn't feel good. But instead, focus on serving people from a place of, hey, I've been where you are and I can walk you through this.
1: Is that boldness? Is that method? Do you still see it in how you market and show up and serve today?
0: Huh. You know, that's a great question. Honestly, I think that I've softened a lot both from motherhood and just in business. I think that I now approach selling from a place of, I never want people to feel apologetic if it's not the right offer, the right time or the right investment for them. Does that make sense? Like I don't want people to see something and think, well, because I can't get that, I can't be successful. That's like my greatest fear in marketing. And there's a lot of strategies and tactics that people use that make you feel that way. And I don't I don't like that feeling. And so when I sell today, I genuinely want it to feel like this invitation that is to the right party at the right time with the right dress code, if that makes yeah, sense. totally. Yeah, and so I think that... I definitely am still bold by nature. Like if I have something that I believe in or something that I've been working hard on or something that I am so confident can help people, I will unapologetically share it. But when I go to sell it or pitch something, I just want people to know, hey, this could accelerate your process or help speed things up or simplify something, but it isn't going to be detrimental to if you succeed or not. And I think that... I've just softened over time because I get pitched to just as much as everyone else. And I know that certain pitches leave me feeling like disappointed or disheartened or like a failure. And that's not the feeling I ever want to give other people. You touched on it a little bit.
1: You know, we started alluding to fears. Did you have or what were your fears surrounding entrepreneurship early on? Like was selling always kind of a a sticking point for you? Or what were your fears that maybe turned out to be true or not true at all?
0: Yeah, I think my biggest fear and I'm learning more, as I said, as an Enneagram (laughs) 3, was just publicly failing. I think that that is a giant fear. And it's not even necessarily about failing. It's about people watching you fail. And I've been digging into that. I mean, the way my brain has been wired lately of just digging into thoughts and asking questions around, well, why do I care? What what does that feel like has been really, really eye-opening for me. But you know, because I was bold in the season of leaving corporate America and jumping into entrepreneurship, because I was sharing everything with proclamation and exclamation points, I really was nervous about humiliating myself or letting down people that did believe in me. And I recognized because my, I'm trying to think of how to say it. Like I understood from a standpoint, removed from emotion that if my business did fail, all I would do is update my resume and go apply for jobs and get another job and just say, Hey, you know, I worked in corporate America. I had this idea. It didn't quite work out. I'm ready to get back into corporate America. That's not a failure. That's just an experiment. And I knew that logically, but emotionally, I didn't feel that. And so my biggest fear was that. And I kind of buried that fear by continuing to work more and work harder. So my first wedding season, I shot 25 weddings. My next wedding season, I shot 27 weddings. The next one, I shot 30 weddings. And that was when I hit burnout. And I think that in my mind, I was like, okay, if I just keep filling up my calendar, if I keep getting clients, there's no way I will fail. But I also didn't have any sort of clear direction of what success looked like, right? So I was avoiding failure, but not defining Success. And that is the difference between Jenna then and Jenna now. Ooh, I love that. Thinking of it in
1: terms of you have to define success instead of just running away from failure. Yeah. Yeah. I love it when you talk about this stuff. This is so fun for me. (laughs) (laughs) This is fun. fun. So, looking back on your early days, what still exists? Like, what common threads still exist in? the Jenna Kutcher brand today that were part of the beginning story
0: of the business? Yeah, so much. Honestly, it's all woven together because it's me. Of course, I've grown and changed and and our lives have changed and entrepreneurship has afforded us just so many different opportunities and things. But it's funny because Even when I scroll through my own Instagram, I just see a lot of the same threads. I started talking about body image five, six years ago. I really loved home decor and sharing about that. I've always loved mac and cheese. That has not changed. And of course, just kind of sharing my heart and I think that there are a lot of common threads because my business has not just been about the product or the service that I offer, but it's been rooted in who I am. And that journey is just really evident in the way that I've grown, the way that my brand has grown and the way that my business has grown. And I think that what's wonderful And what I appreciate when I look back is that my messaging hasn't necessarily changed. The way that I speak and show up hasn't changed. The way that I share my heart hasn't changed. And I'm really proud of that because I think that in life, like we can only speak from our own experiences and we can only show up in the ways that we know how and the ways that we serve the world. And in each season, as my business has shifted and pivoted and changed and ebbed and flowed, I'm still at the heart of it. And I, I really love that.
1: So there's so much that still exists from the early days today, but I need to know, is there anything like any practices or strategies or mindsets that you enthusiastically left behind and vowed like never again, I will
0: not return to that? Yeah, a million. I mean, the biggest one that comes to mind when you say that is saying no to other people. And I know that this sounds weird and counterproductive, but listen to me. (laughs) There are so many people reaching out to you, giving you these shiny opportunities, allowing you to speak on a stage or be featured on their Instagram or whatever. And when you start to peel back the layers and say, what is their motive? What's in it for them? What does that look like? You recognize that this shiny opportunity for you is really a way for them to grow. And I'm not saying don't help other people grow. That's actually the opposite of what I'm saying, but there was so many things that felt so important and shiny and like a big break that were just masked opportunities for other people to grow. And I would leave, you know, flying to this event and paying my way to fly there and speaking on a stage and then getting back home and being like, was that worth it? Like, was that worth being away from Drew or my family? And I've just really learned to discern like, what is the best opportunity for me And a lot of times it's betting on myself. It's doing my own work. It's keeping my eyes on my own paper. And, you know, for four or five years, I flew once a month to just different opportunities and, Now I'm like, I just want to be home and doing the best work that I can, but like having family dinners and putting my child to bed and, and all of that. And so really protecting my yeses, like fiercely, maybe to a point where people don't understand it has been the best thing. And saying no to opportunities that necessarily feel shiny, but are really dull in comparison to what life could look like if you just said no and stayed home (laughs) is really where I find myself today. Like I just want to be home and doing the work. That's why I'm not up on stages or speaking at conferences or leading my own. That stuff to me is wonderful and it's built for other people, but it's just not for me. The joy of missing out, right? Yes, I find
1: a lot of joy in it these days. So <laughs> can I put you on a, on the spot for a second? Because <laughs> I think saying no, in theory, sounds great. But it's still something yeah. I struggle with, because I feel like I just I hear their request with so much empathy, knowing yeah. how much work it takes to have the courage to ask for something sometimes. Yeah, so do you have like a script or how do you even approach saying no when you know the person is coming to you from a place of like genuine need or interest or desire?
0: So I do like a threefold approach to this because I mean, let's be honest, like, you know, we get DMs and emails and requests yeah. and pitches and like so many amazing things. Like there are so many incredible causes and nonprofits and, you know, things to to support and join in yeah, on. Yeah, even having the privilege um, of saying no is a thing that yes, we recognize. Yeah. Absolutely. And so what I always try to do is is to help them gain an understanding of why my no is a no. And I think a lot of times when people say no, it's like this no never or like it's just It feels like a slap in the face, but... Now I've gotten very clear at like saying, okay, in this season, my greatest focus is X, Y, and Z. This is why this opportunity isn't in alignment with what I'm working towards. Here is someone that I think might be a great fit. I'm happy to connect you if that's something you're interested in. And I am cheering you on and wishing you the best in your success. So if I can explain my no, just in a very clear and concise way, just sharing why it's not in alignment, If I can create some sort of connection, whether that's to a person, a resource, a way for them to learn or get what they're looking for. And then also just encouragement. I feel like that's a really great way to say no without like taking the wind out of somebody's sails and, and helping them to understand it. And I honestly feel like people respect that so much more. When I explain, like here is what I'm focused on right now, whether it's time with Conley or you know, focusing on serving the masses with information like this, people understand that so much more than when you just say, Nope, sorry, it's not the right fit. Does that make sense? Yes,
1: it does. And if- feel, excuse me, I'm just going to go write this down in my journal
0: so so I can reference it later. Uh, Okay. So
1: if you could boil down your methods, everything you've learned, this is a very loaded, deep question. From day one, what three steps or strategies have always proven to you know bring you success when pursuing a goal, whether that's hitting a sales goal or getting engagement on an Instagram photo or creating something new. Do you have like three non-negotiable steps or strategies that are always part of your process?
0: Yes, I do. (laughs) Oh, great. (laughs) Okay. So the first one is starting with story. So everything has a story, whether you're sharing your client work, you're sharing a photo on Instagram, you're writing an email, you're selling a product, whatever that is, there has to be this story behind it. We as humans connect to stories more than sales pitches. And I think that it's really important, especially in these days where we're not connected in the flesh, we're connected online to allow people into that story to feel a part of it. I know you, just like me, we love reading, and I, I love reading stories and reading books that are filled with stories because it helps me connect to something that I might not have understood or might not have been exposed to. And so I think it always has to start with the story. Why are you doing this? Why are you passionate about it? Why are you sharing it with me? Why does this matter? Why should I care about this? And what action should I take? And I think that that story is the first piece. The second thing that I have carried through since day one is this belief that I am my own publicist. I do not have a publicist. While I'm sure it would be a lovely thing to have, I've never had one. And yet we have to speak about ourselves in the way that a publicist would brag up on you. A lot of times we're, especially as women, we think that humbleness is like this beautiful trait. And I think that humbleness is incredible, but when humbleness turns into meekness or apologetically showing up or trying to not take up too much space, that's when you're doing a disservice to yourself and to your dreams. And so it's funny when you get Facebook memories. I'll get these memories from eight, nine years ago when I was first starting out, and it would just be me celebrating. Oh my gosh, I just booked another wedding. Oh my gosh, only three weddings left. Oh my gosh, photos by Jenna Lea's 400 fans on Facebook. And it was like these constant little micro celebrations that were in turn these gentle nudges to remind people this is who Jenna is, this is what she does, this is how she serves. And it was like subtle marketing. And I think that we have to remember that like if we don't believe in ourselves enough to share and show up, who's going to believe in us? So that would be number 2. And number 3, I think that it has to be about connection. How are you connecting to people? How are you connecting to your community? How are you connecting to your followers? We look at everything nowadays with algorithms and engagement and all these things, but at the heart of it has to be this connection. And when I look at those early days, I was so connected to my clients because I had just been in their shoes. I was sharing tips on how we did buy one, get one free suits from men's warehouse and, and how we waited for the J crew bridesmaid dress sale to get our bridesmaid dresses. And, and it was all about connecting with people and meeting them where they're at. And I think that that can get harder and harder as you grow and as you expand and as you hit new heights. But at the heart of everything is that connection where you see these human beings, these real hearts that are beating instead of just numbers and subscribers and downloads and all these things. And I think that that has to be at the heart of everything that we do as entrepreneurs, because the second that we lose that connection, we lose that heartbeat with the people that we are out there trying to serve the most. As someone
1: on the inside of this operation you have going, I'm just going to say I vouch for all three of those things. I can just see it in all the work that our team does together that you do. You know, every topic that comes up at our team chats, they're led by those three principles. So Um, I'm just...
0: Thank you. I didn't write those down. Those just came to me. So it's not like I'm reading off of (laughs) anything. Those are like the real heartbeat behind entrepreneurship. And I think they can span no matter which area you pivot into or where you change up your flow. And I think that's beautiful. Yeah. So Jenna,
1: since we're talking about your early days, I would just love to hear, to wrap it up, what you are a beginner at right now. Because while you are an expert at so many things, I know there's gotta be something that you're like starting and stopping and trying and trial and error at right now. Well,
0: potty training (laughs) is one thing, but in all seriousness, we are trying to potty train Coco. But you know what's interesting? And I want to say this as honestly as I can. Right now, I feel like I'm a beginner at redefining success for myself. I think that I'm really just being thoughtful about what Level of success is worth it? What does that look like? Why do I want the things I want? What's the root behind them? And I've just been kind of a beginner at like getting to know this version of myself. I think that, you know, if I look at the last few years, I was, you know, we navigated loss with miscarriage and then I was pregnant for a year and awfully sick for a good portion of that. And then I was a new mom. And I feel like I am coming home to myself again and again and again in each season and in this season of life especially with covid and and with everything going on with the movements and everything happening i think that 2020 has been this year of pause and evaluation and awakening and i feel like i am a beginner at discovering who i am and what matters the most to me as we continue to move forward which is Probably an interesting answer, but the truth. So defining success and
1: who you are and potty training. <laughs> That's what you're <laughs> exactly. <getting> at. Exactly.
0: <laughs> you know, that- like what it's like to be a mom and a CEO. It's like one minute you're chasing around a naked baby and the next minute you're on an interview with someone like yourself, (laughs) This has
1: been so much fun. But before this feels funny that I'm the one that gets to close it out. But is there anything that you want to speak on or touch on that my questions didn't draw out of you today?
0: I just want to know if people like this format, because for me, this is so much fun. And so can you guys go comment on Gold Digger podcast on the Instagram account today and just let us know, did you like this format? Because I would way rather do this and sit down with you at the mic more often. Oh, heck yeah.
1: I'm down for it. So yeah, let us know what you think.
0: Thanks for interviewing me, Kylie. Thanks
1: for this opportunity to interview you. How much fun I just love this and I love working for you. And she didn't even pay me to say that.
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, technically, well, maybe I did. Yeah, no, I'm just well. <laughs> Until next time, gold diggers. Keep on digging. Biggest goal. Your biggest goals. Your biggest Oh, so that good. That's all really good. <laughs>